The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. We are uh, going to start on a new series. We're going to jump into Romans, uh, like you heard uh, Bruce share a little bit. Uh, Romans chapter 12, and he's exactly right. Romans 12 is all about how do we actually live this thing out. And so if what we're trying to do here at Convergence is to figure out how do we, how do we live this faith thing out in such a way that it actually has influence, that we're actually able to give back, that we're able to, to join God in what He is doing, that, that we might even experience something of the power of the resurrection in our lives in, in a new uh, way, either for the very first time, for some of you who might be uh, not really sure what faith is all about, but you're curious, I'm glad you're here, or for some of you who have been in the church for a long time, but you haven't uh, seen anything new happen in your life, and you're wondering, does this really matter, or was this just something that worked uh, in another place in another time, uh, maybe in another age? We're hope that you can experience something new. Well, Romans 12 is huge for that, and so I'm super excited. I've been able to sit in it for um, the last little while, and and I thought, you know, we're we're just gonna not, we're not even gonna take the the chapter. We're just gonna take eight verses. Okay, eight verses, and because we're eight verses, because it's going to take us at least ten weeks to unpack that, and, and I actually lumped some things together and, and cut some things out in, in, in a way, and, and here's the deal, because like so much of Scripture, um, and especially, certainly Paul, and when, when the Apostle Paul writes letters, to, to be able to get through and to digest and get into what he's talking about, we're going to have to go all over the book, and we're going to even have to, to go throughout Scripture if we're going to understand what the heck he is getting after and how it actually might uh, not just be nice words, but actually kind of resonate down in, in who we are and in, uh, in our soul. And, I, and as, as I was sitting, I, I thought, you know what? Here's the thing. There's really like three big challenges, I think, for us in just these few eight verses. And so there are, in a sense, maybe three kind of sub-series within this, within this larger series. Kind of three challenges for us, and the first one is to lay it down. That's going to be uh, verses one and two, and then and then there's this challenge to to uh, really against our individualism to actually belong to more than just me to to move beyond simply uh, a me-centered universe that's going to release something in us, and then and then then there's this challenge to engage what we got, and and there's a whole um, list of gifts in there. And yet, it's not just a, hey, that looks good, that's me. But uh, what does it mean to release those gifts for the sake of um, uh, what God wants to do in the world? So we're going to have fun with that. Um, if, let's bring up Romans 1 and 2. And, and what I want to do is I just want to, we're going to read uh, these first couple verses throughout this, this whole first section. And so I'll read with you. Uh, I'll read this time. I'm going to ask you to read uh, next time. But we want to kind of sit in these. And I encourage you to think about, you know, if you want to do homework, if you're someone who likes to do homework, then read through Romans. Or, or, or if that's too much, read through Romans 12, 1 through 8. Or at least read through these. In fact, that would be bad, actually, if you just read through the first two verses over the next three weeks. I know um, God will show you some stuff. That'll be great. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, let's pray as we, get, as we get into this. Lord, thank you 
um, for this place and this time for that we get to look into your word. We would ask that the same spirit that inspired this word would um, speak into our hearts tonight. Uh, I would ask that you'd move me out of the way um, and that you would... Uh, that what would land is, is your word to each of us. Lord, whether we need to... This is a favorite um, passage of Scripture for us, and we've read it a million times. I pray that we would capture something new over these next couple of weeks, and uh, even tonight. Lord, if this, is, if this is brand new, I pray that, there, that you would just grab a hold um, of us in such a way that, that our eyes are open to you. So, Lord, we want to see you in this. And so we ask that your Spirit would lead us in that. In your name, amen. Well, here's the thing. As I, I was beginning to, to break this out and think, okay, how, you know, what, we, what weeks are going to do what? I, I more and more was sort of captured by this, just the first part of, cha- of verse 1. Where Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers or brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and just, just to stop. Because so often, I actually, I love this, but I normally just, I breeze right by that and I get right into what we'll talk about next week, which will be great, which is, uh, therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices and, and going on and on. And, and yet, I, I was reminded, I just got to pause, I got to stop, I got to ask. Oh, if Paul is, is saying, okay, here's how you are to live. And he starts out and he says, listen, I gotta, I'm going to urge you, I'm going to plead with you, I'm going to beg with you in view of God's mercy. i got to say, what, what is going on there? Why do I do, and why mercy? Something must be going on with mercy if, if in fact it is going to begin to fuel everything else. If it's going to make sense of everything else that comes afterwards. If it's going to justify why I should even listen to anything else that comes after this. Mercy. Like, really? Mercy? I don't always follow the news a lot. I listen to the news a little bit. But, you know, I was thinking this week, um, especially this week, and I was thinking of all the things to draw on that could be powerful, why, why mercy? And I, I was intrigued this week, and some of you have heard about it, but, you know, there's a kind of whole mess with a, a particular church on the east, uh, eastern side of the U.S. who um, wanted to take a stand. Okay, they, they felt like they needed to stay, take a stand, and so um, they felt like, okay, here's what we need to do. There's something particularly wrong. We need, we need to make sure that we, we speak into that uh, because th- th- there's evil that is being done. And so they decided that the best way they were going to be able to do that is to burn a whole bunch of Korans. You guys heard this? Anybody seen this? Okay. I, mean, I was intrigued by it. Now, there's lots going on. Okay. There's a lot more than what we could dissect um, uh, here and yet, I, it, 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 it kind of grabbed my ears because I was like, interesting. I, interesting attack. So, and I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to stop uh, the building of uh, Islamic Center or mosque or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, anywhere near ground zero. And so it, they basically said, here's the deal. We're going to burn mosques so, it, it, so that you can stop. And what we want to do is we want to stop radical Islam. We want to send a message. That's interesting, isn't it? Interesting way of going about it. I, I don't mind taking a stand. I don't have any problem with taking a stand. We need to take a stand. I, I get that. We, we need to look out into the world and say, at some point, something is very wrong and we need to be able to stand for something that is right. And, and yet I thought, you know, when I'm thinking about what, what do we base our power off of? 
What gives us the power to make a difference, to influence culture? Is this it? Well, you've got to be honest. It's powerful. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it's powerful. I mean, think about this. A little tiny church. Nobody knows it. It's like 50 people. Suddenly, it's in the international news. Suddenly, it's bringing together politicians on the right and on the left. It's, it's bringing together uh, clerics uh, from Islam, or Muslim clerics. It's bringing together Jewish rabbis. It's, it's bringing together uh, various uh, folks from uh, Christian denominations, Catholics and others, to come together unified. It's got thousands of Facebook hits, right? I don't even get close to thousands of Facebook hits, ever, right? Thousands of Facebook hits. In fact, it, it has the general, it, just this one, this one action, it, it's got the general who's leading our wars, taking time out of what he's doing in Afghanistan to actually comment on something that's going on domestically, Right? You can't deny powerful, powerful. And yet at the end of the day, you have to say, is this really what we want to be basing uh, our message on? Is this the power that is actually going to accomplish what we're ultimately trying to do? Because you can't deny that it's not powerful. You can't deny that it doesn't get attention. You can't deny that it doesn't get people talking. But in the end, does it accomplish? Well, I'm not really sure that it does. I mean, I, I'd have questions about it. And I, and I thought, you know, I, I listened to one, one of the um, reviews in particular, and I, and I get the sense of, you know, it was all, we just want to take a stand. And yet um, the interviewer was saying, well, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, New Testament scriptures. Um, I'm curious how loving your enemy falls into this approach. You know, valid question for a pastor, I would think. And it was, it was fascinating to kind of see the response because it was like, yeah, yeah, that works, you know, generally. <laughs> okay. I thought Jesus' teaching was more than general, but, you know, generally that works. You know, we love, we, we love you know, we love people who are Muslims or, is, or from Islam or from whatever. We love them, but we got to take a stand. Because you don't know what radical Islam is doing. Because I'm thinking, you know, this is probably, there's probably nothing better than burning a bunch of um, Qurans to be able to say, they're, they're holy scriptures, to be able to, to have all those who are engaged in radical Islam go, you know what, you're right. You're right. We're wrong. I didn't get it until this time. We're just, America, come on. Come on over. Welcome. You know, I just don't think that it... I just don't think that it's accomplishing it. And I, and, and I want to be careful. I want to be sensitive. But it, this, is, this is the stuff that we see every single day. And we have to ask ourselves, as a community, what is it that is going to begin to, to guide our behavior as we head out? Well, it sends me back to think about mercy a little bit. And maybe there's something in mercy that, that could be actually more powerful than uh, the kind of move that we saw uh, throughout the news um, this last week. Think with me a little bit about mercy. Mercy is one of those words, and I, and I appreciate it. I get to, when I get together with Dave Lutz, I, I love meeting with Dave I, when I get to talk over talks with him. Um, it's so great because he, he's so great at just calling out the stuff. He goes, that sounds really churchy. And I love it when he does that. He goes, whatever. You know, I come to him and I got this great talk and I'm all excited about it. He's like, mm, really? Come on. Well, he had the same thing with mercy. He's like, mercy, really? What does that mean? I was like, well, you know, mercy, 
We say it all the time in church, right? We, we, it's one of those words that's out there, and especially within Christian communities, we mention it all the time, we pray it all the time, and yet it could just kind of wash all over us, right? It doesn't really mean anything, it sounds good, but it doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything. We've heard it so much, right? It's just kind of out there. It's, it's general, really general. And yet, man, we want mercy, don't we? Right? We want mercy. We want to be on the receiving end of mercy. I'll give you a hypothetical. Right. Hypothetically, let's just say that you're on your way to go snowboarding, you know, up a mountain. And there's this long line of cars with a bunch of people who don't know how to drive, who are driving 20 hours, you know, below the speed limit. Let's just say hypothetically, there's this long stretch and there's a double yellow line, but it's clear that it's safe. And hypothetically, you decide to, 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 to swerve out and to pass all of these fine people. So that you can get up the mountain sooner. And hypothetically, there happens to be a police officer who pulls you over, state patrol, and gives you a huge ticket, hypothetically, right? You're hoping that when you go in and you stand before a judge that you're going to receive mercy. Because you know, clear, I can't argue this one. I mean, I could try to argue this one, but clearly I did something that was illegal, right? And you can justify it all kinds of different ways you want, but clearly you did something that that was illegal, and you're just hoping that the judge is going to be able to to, to knock some serious coin off of that fine for you. Well, we want to receive mercy, don't we? we? We want people to go easy on us, and yet when the tables are turned, we're not always so sure about being showing mercy. So hypothetically, let's just say that you're on the other side of things. A lot of times we actually want to go to the opposite extreme. We don't want more mercy. We're thinking we should give less mercy because we've got to teach this guy a lesson. So, you know, let's just say that you're the judge and you got this guy in front of you and you're thinking, you know, I might want to, I might want to teach this guy a lesson. In fact, I might want to raise my voice. I might want to yell at him a little bit. I might want to, I might want to talk to him about how he's a typical self-centered snowboarder who lives a reckless and dangerous life and doesn't care about anything that he or she, you know, hypothetically, hurts in doing it, right? We think, oh, they need to learn. They need to learn a lesson. Well, see, that's the time when suddenly we're thinking, you know, mercy is not the thing that this person needs. This person needs a good talking to. Well, we've been on both sides of those places, haven't we? There are times when we want to receive it from people, and then times when we go, really, should I be showing it? Well, that brings us, it sent me to think about, okay, what is mercy? What's the definition? So let's look at the definition, basic dictionary definition. We see that it's compassion or forbearance shown, especially to an an offender or to uh, one subject to one's power, Uh, compassionate or lenient treatment. Especially like if someone's imprisoned and you, they might get the death penalty or imprisonment instead of the death penalty. Could be um, a kind of a blessing or an act of divine favor when you're in a bad uh, situation. It could be a treatment, compassionate treatment for those who are in distress or, or perhaps at the mercy of. It means that you're wholly in the power of with no way to protect oneself. And so you're hoping that this person's going to be kind. Right? Younger, younger brothers, younger siblings... Right? We know what it's like to be in the mercy of. Right? It's not me, actually. I'm the older. We know what it's like to be grabbing your brother's arm and, and saying, mercy, 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 mercy. Right? We know it's this, there's a sense of power to it. Which is fascinating because you think power, you kind of think, oh, it's just about being nice. No, it, mercy is actually all about power. Isn't that interesting? On one hand, you, you have this, you have somebody who is in a situation where there is no power, there is no hope of being rescued, saved, 
or given a break. You're stuck. You don't have anything you can do. You're either caught or you're in a situation where you have no power and you are in trouble. On the other hand, that's not just enough. That's just desperation, if, if that's the case. But, but then you add into it this other element of somebody who actually does have power. Who, who actually uh, comes in and does something on your behalf that expresses some sense of goodness, help, forgiveness, uh, a word of encouragement. Somebody who, who, who shows kindness to you or to a situation, but is under no compulsion to do so. They don't have to. They don't have to at all. That's the point. When you pull those things together, suddenly you have mercy. So you, you just have the first one. It's desperation, isolation, fear. You only have the second, and it's, it doesn't really mean anything. It's, it's just nice. It's just someone being nice. But their being nice isn't actually helpful to you because it's, you don't need it. It doesn't mean anything to you. They're just being nice. It's probably more about them. Well, here's what's interesting for me is that Paul is going to summarize all 11 chapters of this book, Romans, in one word, mercy. And I think it's because in large part, a lot of what's been going on in Romans for 11 chapters is he's been talking about both of these elements. It's both of these elements that I want to look at a little bit tonight. He's been talking on one hand uh, about a real sense of brokenness. On the other hand, a sense of God's grace and goodness. So we're going to take a look at both of those uh, briefly tonight. So first of all, something's broke. And you need help. There's this sense that that there is something that is clearly broken. You read through Romans, and, that, and, and it is clear that, that Paul's got some things to say, and they're not pretty. Right? I mean, he goes at it. I mean, there is plenty of wrath to go around. Let's just say this. And he is an equal opportunity blank kicker. Right? You add in whatever you need. Man, you just open up. You look at the... It just takes 18 verses. He opens things up and then he is going at it with his audience. I mean, he's not trying to, to win people. And so he says this. You look at Romans 1, 18 and 21. He, he, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed against those who have suppressed the truth of God and placed themselves at the center stage of the universe. Just read a couple of uh, uh, things. We're going we're gonna to poke around. If you have your Bibles, I uh, hope you can join along with us. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He goes on in verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he goes on, he says, essentially, it, you've placed, it, here's what's happening in, in the world, is it, that you knew who God is, that God is obvious, he's around you all over the place, and, and you knew it, but you, you took him off the throne, you essentially put yourself into the middle of the universe and said, whatever, I, I am going to decide the way life is. He says, in that, you thought you were wise, but you became fools. And so, in God's divine freedom, and I don't know why it gives us freedom sometimes. He said, all right, bear, bear, out, bear that out. See where that goes. So he says, you, you can look at the fruit. You can, you can see where that wisdom leads. The, the, the fruit, envy, murder, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. 
the worst of the worst, of course. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they knew God's righteous decree and those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. Brutal. He says, look at the fruit in your life. You want to know how this bears out? It bears out in broken sexuality. He picks on one aspect of that that he sees. And you can imagine, and here's what, we, here's what we need to remember, is that when he is speaking to these early churches, he's speaking to these people that are now supposed to be one. They're now supposed to be kind of a unified people, but they're, they're Jews and they're Gentiles. And so really, he's, ta- he's going after Gentiles right here. People that had God's law, people that were outside of that. And so they, could, they had a spirituality, but they could believe anything. He said, you can imagine right now that there are those that are kind of, and they were Jews that had become Christians who were like, yeah, right on, Paul. Get it. It's about time that somebody said something honest. Let's just be honest. That's the way they are. We all know it. Yeah, Paul's going to go, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not quite done. Well, let's talk about you guys now for a second, right? I mean, it's obvious. And when we look out, we can look out on the world and we can say, we can look, we can say broken, broken, broken. We can see that things are not right. Well, I don't have to argue that because we just know we live in a world in which there is so much destruction, so much devastation relationally within people. People get torn to shreds. We see it all the time. He said, hold on, hold on, you guys. You guys think that you have the law, and so you... Jewish Christians, yeah, you came, you came to Jesus, and yet you think it's all about following the law. Let's talk about you for a second. Let's let's just think for a moment. Really, do you guys have it? You're up, you're uptight. You follow the law, but really, are you any better? Is is there a sense of character, which maybe is a way to think about righteousness? Is there a righteousness that it, that is any better? You teach it. You say you follow it. You talk about it all the time, and yet here's the thing. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Think about that. He goes through and he says, let, let me, you guys love the law, and you're going for it, and yet you think that it's all about if you follow the law, that, that that's somehow what God wants from you and wants from your life. And yet you who say, don't murder, you're murdering. You're full of anger. He says, is it any different? Here's what they say. Let me just tell you what they say about you out there. They, they blaspheme God because of you. They're not praising God because of you. They're blaspheming God because of you. Man, that, that's just out there in the culture. We, sometimes I think we, we need to be able to hear this because those that are looking in, that are watching, that are looking for something different, they're saying... Ah. They say that they have the law. They say that they are following all these rules. Yeah, they, they, they say that they're better than me. But here's what I see. I see strife. I see arrogance. I see ruthlessness. I don't think I really want to do, be a part of that. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. No thanks. I mean, can you imagine? He says, by, by the way, those that don't have the law, that, you, that you're, you're somehow thinking that you're better because of that, they actually, those that are outside that don't have the law, actually follow it better than you do sometimes. 
Which is true. I mean, think about that. You know, there, we all have those people that we go, they've never been in church, they might not read the Bible, but gosh, they are nice people. Man, nicer than some of the people i got to sit in church next to. As if that's what it's all about. He says, look, okay, I'm going after everybody. Let me be fair. And this is what I love. I'm going I'm to kick my own butt here for a second. So he goes into chapter 7 and he begins to say, here's the thing. I'm not, I, 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 there's brokenness here, there's brokenness here. But let, I even recognize in me, the apostle sent to you that there's brokenness. Man, I wrestle. I have a sense of conflict within me that I feel like I can't, I just can't do some of the things that sometimes I want to do. I want to do what is right, and yet I feel like sometimes I do the opposite. So we end up with some of us who have been in church for a long time. We end up with this famous phrase that Paul says, Look, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He, he quotes a, a prophet in chapter 3 who says, There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands God. No one who seeks God. See, we, this is hard stuff, right? We don't want to talk about this stuff because we don't want to talk about judgment. We chafe at the idea of a God who, who might be angry or a God who might be wrathful or, or any sense of judgment. It's just not cool. It's not nice to do that, so we don't do it, Right? But think about this. You can't, you can't have somebody who loves who doesn't get angry, right? You just can't. You can't watch somebody who, who is just destroying themselves and destroying others and think, you know what, this, you know, whatever they want to do is whatever they want to do. No, it makes you angry. It, fire, it fires you up inside because you can't stand to watch them do that to themselves or do it to somebody that you love as well. Think about this with a coach. Those of you who have, who played sports, right? Is it? I mean, I played. You know, I had all kinds of coaches, and you know, there's somewhere on the spectrum. But think about this. Do you want a coach who, when you're out on the field or you're out on the court, and, and you just are bombing it? I mean, you can't hit a basket, you can't score a touchdown, you can't throw a pass, you can't catch anything. I mean, you got butterfingers that when you come off the field is like, hey, hey, good job, good job. Hey, that was great. Hey, you know what? You're, uh, we, we lost by 42, but you know what? I love you. Good job. Right? You don't want a coach that does that. It, it doesn't mean anything. Because you go, is that really love you? No, a coach is somebody who's going to look at you and go, okay, look. You're better than this. It's going to sit you down and it's going to be a little bit of anger. And the anger in them, that's going to, they're going to get fired up. And they might raise their voice a little bit, but they're going to sit you down at halftime and go, you are better than this. I know you can catch. I know you can throw. You are better than this. We've done this before. Get out there and play like we've trained to do. You can do more. See, some of you have... A, We've talked about this before, and sometimes uh, there's a sense of, you know, we need to be able to lay down the law, and, and there are some of you that, that want me to do more of, of, of some serious butt-kicking for you guys and tell you to get after it. And, and I get it, and I, and I get it. And, and I get why a lot of times we, we want to gravitate towards places where someone is going to come down and lay down the law, because we want someone who is not going to just give us a thumbs up. Hey, you're okay, I'm okay. 
when we know that we're not okay. We want someone to be able to look into the reality of our lives in which we know it's a mess. And, and, and I, I might be holding it together, but gosh, there's not much there. And be able to say, it's a mess. We want someone to be able to speak that because we know then that's truth. Somebody who's able to speak into that, we, we can trust them because they're not going to shine us. They're not going to just give us a big smile and say, you know, go on, keep on destroying yourself, keep on losing games. I don't really care. Hey, good job. We want someone who will speak truth into our lives and be able to say, I know that you're hurting. Let's do something about it. Someone who can look at us and, and say, losing game, okay? Bad decisions. But that's not all it is. You're better. You, you can be a better husband. Okay? You, you, can have, you can have more integrity than that. Okay? You're more beautiful than you're giving yourself credit for. We want someone to be able to speak into our lives and be able to say, better, you are better. We hope that there is more. Tell me that there is more. Tell me that this is not all I can be. I get it. We want that. We want to hear that. Well, here's the promise, in it, and it's embedded in this verse. All have, fallen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God wants to say to you and I tonight, listen, the standard for you is not okay. Is not, hey, you're not a jerk. The standard for you is to share in the glory of God. You get it? The standard is not, you need to, you need to sort of prove yourself to get to that point. The standard is, no, what I want for you, cause, and I'm going to do it in and through you, I want you to move into this place where you're sharing something of the glory of God. Jesus would say it in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to be whole and complete and perfect like your Father in Heaven. Not just better than somebody around you. I want you to be complete like your Father in Heaven. That's the standard that he has for us. See, Paul is adamant about going after all these things because he wants us to get to this place where we begin to understand that it all is about trust. It's all about trust. He's saying, listen, I want you to let go of everything that that you might think gives you power, might think gives you standing, might think makes you look successful, might might, might think is going to make you feel like you're at least better than that person across the street. Let go of all that stuff. Because ultimately, this is about the Spirit guiding you and moving in and through you. It is about trust. Here's the thing, you guys. Trust brings us into this incredibly vulnerable place because we have to look into the darkest parts of our life and nobody wants to do that. We have to look into those parts of our life that, that we do all the work to make sure that, every, that nobody ever sees. We have to look at those uh, parts of our lives in which we go, this is broken. And then, then to begin to say, look, God, can you do anything about it? Trust isn't easy. It's scary. And I know that a lot of you, you, you you've heard wrath a lot in your life and, and, and perhaps you've opted out of faith or you have friends who have opted out of faith and I can get it because if, if there is nothing beyond simply brokenness then eventually you're just going to go well there isn't more than this so just leave me alone or, or, or all I know is wrath if all there is is no hope then all there is is desperation and all there is is cynicism and yet when we can 
have the courage to be able to open ourselves up to this place where we can begin to trust in God in a new way. That is the place of transformation. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because only when you're poor and you say, God, I need more than me for this one, can God's power begin to come into your life. This is why I have incredible admiration for so many of you that that have allowed me uh, some access into your life and Nobody, it doesn't seem like a courageous act, and yet you have been willing to say, I'll look at this part of my life that isn't pretty. I'll allow, uh, maybe I'll, uh, I'll risk to trust into that. It's huge. It takes courage. Well, the second thing is this, of course, is that there has to be someone who is there to help. And I think as much as it can be hard, it can be scary to begin to, to look into those places, to, to, to be able to come to a spot where we go, I don't actually have anything to bring to this. I, I'm in a place of having to come with open hands. I think sometimes, probably maybe for many of us that have been in the church, what's harder to believe is that someone actually cares. That God actually will do something about it. Yeah, God is merciful. I know, you know, he died on the cross, he died for everyone, but not for me. At least not for this thing. See, I I get the the love and all that kind of stuff, and yet we kind of think, well, what Jesus died for was kind of those big sins. Well, you know, know, for the guy who was stealing Cheetos from the corner store, and he stopped, you know, stealing Cheetos. All right, mercy for that, right? But not mercy for me. Not mercy for for the stuff that, that, that is... That vulnerable stuff that takes us right down to the, to the core. And this is what is so hard for us to believe that God actually cares and will step into and can do anything about the thing that maybe for some of you feel like you resonate with Paul because you go, I try to do the right thing and I can't. I've tried for a long, long time and I can't. It's hard for some of us to be able to feel that point of is mercy for me in how I think about myself and my body and how attractive I am. I don't think it is. Is mercy for me in the way that I, in my sexuality, perhaps in the fact that I can't get free of porn. I can't seem to change this sort of... Um, repetitious way of, uh, of how I engage sexually with those around me. I keep doing the same thing over and over again. I don't, I don't know how to stop. I, I don't know if God actually is going to do anything about just the, the selfishness that I, that I have that undermines my friendships time and time again. Does God actually care about the fact that I don't have a job? Or that I'm in a horrible job situation. Or, or that God actually does something about my job. Because a lot of times, see, we go, yeah, mercy for Sunday, not for Monday, right? When I have to deal with somebody who's driving me crazy, who is actually out to get my hide. And this is where I think, for those in our 20s and 30s, we have to start coming to grips. Does God, yeah, God will provide if we kind of take a, a step out. And that's hard. But is God going to actually provide for me now when I don't have a job and I don't think I can get a job? Man, now the stakes are higher. Now it doesn't look so easy. 
And yet, you guys, this is the place when we can begin to, to, to step out, that we can begin to see truly God's power in our lives. Here's the thing. When I've had these moments, when God somehow graciously has, has spoken by His Spirit into my heart and said, I know the misery that you're in. I know what you're facing. I know what you're dealing with. Those have been those times when I've experienced something that transcends anything that happens in, in church. The good words. Even the stuff that I feel like I, you know, as I'm grasping and I'm hoping, does God care into this? Am I the only one here? And suddenly I hear that God goes, no, no, I... I care about the same things. Not only that, I'm with you in this. And here's the deal, I'm acting. I know you can't see it right now. I know you think you're alone. I know you think you're despised. But you're not. I'm in this with you. That's the stuff in which we begin to see transformation in our lives. So my challenge for you is that, that you would begin to perhaps even risk for the very first time to simply say, Jesus, here's my brokenness. I'm going to trust you with it for today. I don't know that you can do anything about it, honestly. I don't know that I even want to admit it before you, but here's the, I'll just trust. I'm just going to say, here it is. Will you begin to speak a word of hope into it? That's a big risk for a lot of you. I challenge you to do it. So here, as we wrap up, here's the thing. Mercy is about power. It is all about power. You think about what, why is Amazing Grace the most popular song in the U.S.? Why is it the go-to song whenever anything happens, when a, a 9-11 happens? What do we sing? As America, Amazing Grace. Why? I mean, think, about it. think about this. It starts off, a wretch like me. It's because somehow it speaks in that, that there is somebody who is bigger than us, that has more power than us. When we feel powerless and we feel like we're stuck, who's going to be able to speak into that and say, you matter, I care, and I'm working into it. That somehow there might be something beyond us and that somehow somebody sees the situation we're in for what it is. You bring together the sense of brokenness and that God is actually at work in the midst of it and it is powerful. And so here's a couple of things for you to think about this, to begin to take steps on it. First is this thing they call the Jesus Prayer. Okay, Jesus Prayer has been around for a long time. Um, it is uh, especially popular in East, Eastern Orthodox Church. It's this, it simply uh, is this prayer, have mercy on me. Well, the long version is, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and um, the idea is that it came out of this idea uh, of a place of saying, how can I learn how to pray without ceasing? And so the idea is that you could say it over again and again and again. And maybe for you, this is something you could say while you're driving to work or driving to school. And, and just again and again, just repetitiously, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And here's the deal. If you feel like crap afterwards, you, you haven't done it. You missed the point. The whole point is that to be able to bring yourself into a place where you can begin to release everything that you, in which you are frightened, in which you are scared, in which you, you feel like there's no hope. That you can begin to say, Lord, you, you know the parts of my life that are broken, and yet you have said mercy into them. You've spoken into them. Second thing is this. is challenge you to, to look out and to find places where, where you can begin to, to find small mercies. And so, uh, think about this. 
Uh, one of the things that the, the song that went with the, the slides, I loved it. It was it was by it's a song uh, by uh, uh, artists that are out there, um, Coldplay and REM. They're not necessarily Christians, and yet there's something that resonates in that because you see that there is brokenness, and yet you also claim that there is God's love into the midst of it. So I challenge you to think about it, to think about small mercies, because in the Greek here, it is mercies, small mercies. So if all of God's mercy is, well, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for me at one point. Uh, It's true. It's too general. The more specific you can get, the more tangible and the more personal you can get, the more powerful it's going to be in your life. Begin to look out and say, how has God shown you mercy? Think about that. Collect stories. Look, is it where do you see it in song? Where do you see it in film? Perhaps this can be one of those things where we can begin to, to collect those. We can put them on the blog or Facebook or whatever. But begin to think about that. Where do you see mercies? Begin to look. You'll see that they're all around you. And lastly, this. Look for a chance to be able to show mercy this week to someone who you don't like. You pray the Jesus prayer and you begin to have a sense of, I feel like my life is out of control And yet when you begin to understand that God is with you and in you, you begin to understand that you're standing on solid ground, that you are secure, that you actually have power, that God is doing something in your life. Suddenly you're in a place where you can begin to change uh, the rules of engagement at your place of work or your school or wherever you're at and begin to show somebody mercy who does not deserve it. You guys, if we do that, So we can begin to to gather these stories as we can begin to talk about it, to share about it, where we've seen God's mercy in our life. That's the power ultimately that changes things. That's the power that that turns enemies into friends. That's the power of the resurrection. For whatever else is out there, let it be that. But the power of the church lies in this, that we get mercy, the mercy of God that has been shown us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your grace to us and how you have shown yourself um, to not have to not walk away, to not look down on us, to not ask us to do anything that we cannot do. Lord, thank you that like a uh, like a like a good coach, you uh, look at us and say, um, "I expect more from you because I've created you for more." But you also don't just yell at us. But you step into our our lives and and by your spirit you begin to to draw us into a new place. So Lord, will you show us this week tangibly your mercy to us. Your mercy that is at work in this world. That we would begin to to stand on nothing more than this. that, That we have been shown mercy. In your name, amen.